Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. If people like you, they will listen to you. But if they trust you, they will do business with you. That's the quote for today by Zig Ziglar. And our topic today is all about branding. So the people trusting you is like the core of that. And I'm sure we'll dive into that as we chat today. Before I introduce my guest, Emily Foster, I want to mention that I am looking for people who would be willing, who would love to be a podcast guest where we take a deep dive into your business and audit those places where you might be leaving money on the table. Might be sales, it might be your website, it might be a lot of different things, marketing. So if you would be open to that and willing to help others because people will learn by that conversation, please get in touch with me. You can email me, Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com, or you can go to my website, which is lucydumascoaching.com. So anywho, I'm back from vacation and I'm having a little trouble getting my brain in gear. So, you know, just enjoy it if I am perfectly imperfect today. (laughs) Uh, But let me tell you about Emily. Emily is a branding and website designer. She specializes in working with photographers. Woohoo! She has seven years of design experience and a background in event marketing. She loves everything related to photography and the wedding. And she's a recent bride, so she knows the world of client-side wedding photography. Did that make sense, that last sentence? I don't think so. Anyway, she knows about weddings and all that stuff. So welcome, Emily, and congratulations. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. How was the wedding? It was great. Um, We got really lucky with weather because it was all outdoors. So it was low 80s the whole day, which is pretty ideal. We're in the Portland area. Um, And yeah, overall, I would say everything went perfectly within reason as much as it can during the wedding. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was a great day. Can't believe it's over already. (laughs) I know you must have hired a fabulous photographer and you will remember it forever. Yeah, we did. Um, We definitely skewed you know, you look on Pinterest and like the wedding budget, they say to do five to 10% towards photography. Our budget for photography and videography was more like 33% of our wedding budget. (laughs) Yeah. So we cared about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I always suggest that people spend the most money on their dress, their bouquet and the photography, because those are the things that, well, to me, of course, the photography is important, but also you want to look pretty, you want to have pretty flowers, spend less on food, cake, uh, do have a great DJ because the art of creating music that people will enjoy and dance to. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to hear that you followed my advice. We didn't even know each other yet. Yeah, we didn't. No, I, and that was something I thought about. I've been watching um, wedding videos on YouTube for gosh, a decade. Uh-huh. So it's some like one of my little, I guess, secret pleasures. <laughs> so I knew I wanted that too. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So uh, before we get talking about branding and specifics, I would love to know just a little about how you got where you are, what your background is. Yeah. I basically chose design because I loved the mix of business and art. Um, I was in a few different schools at my university, the journalism school, um, business and art. So it was kind of a combination of bringing all those classes together and getting into design. And then I've niched down into working with photographers in the wedding industry um, for a lot of reasons. I've always loved photography. I think I'm kind of a wannabe photographer. I just never got into it enough. Um, and used to shadow like photographers with um, wedding shooting in the past. Mm. Um, so I've always really admired the industry um, and wanted to kind of still be associated with it some way. And I'm mostly just passionate about helping small business owners find more balance in their lives, like 
there's a reason that we quit our nine to fives or get out of college and start a business. And then we get so busy doing all of the tasks in our business that we aren't actually taking the time to do the creative task that we're meant to do, like photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I'm passionate about helping photographers with their branding and web design to like take that off their plate and get balance back in their life and tell a story through their branding and web design that can help mm-hmm. them look more of their ideal clients. So that is fabulous because we all need that for sure. So you actually went to school for your career. I did. Yeah. yeah. And I actually took some photography classes too. So that helped. Good. So yeah. when you were a kid, were you always the one like coloring and drawing? And I was. I was kind of it all. I definitely wasn't a very athletic kid. Um, so at summer camp, while everyone else is playing on the playground, I remember I actually like wrote a play and then illustrated it and then <laughs> kind of directed it and had everyone play a part in it for our talent show. I love it. So your uh, the creativity uh, gene was strong with this one. <laughs> yeah, it was. Good. Okay. A lot of people, I think, hear the word branding. And they think a certain thing that is about, well, I'll just say, I think a lot of people believe that branding is, let's come up with a logo design that my ideal client would like. Yeah. And so they think, like, some people be like, I want to be a luxury photographer. So, well, black and gold. Okay, that sounds like luxury. Um but I'm thinking you have a different perspective on that. So what is your definition of branding? I always say it's the visual voice of your business. Um, so it's literally the way that you're talking to people. Marketing is the part of that voice, but branding is how it shows up all the time and how your entire business shows up outside of marketing and through the rest of the business too. It shows up in your administrative work, um, in the actual work that you're delivering to your clients. So it's that. Um, and yeah, it does include your logo. And to a certain extent, it's designing a logo with your ideal client in mind and with your positioning of like whether you're a luxury or budget photographer, et cetera. But it's really more of the crossroads of that, like your positioning in the market, as well as the type of clients that you work with, your physical market, the area that you're in, um, and so many other factors, so many personal factors too, especially when you're a photographer. Like, telling your personal story within the brand, if that makes sense for your branding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's where all of those meet in the middle um, and which is why it's so intricate and something that is best to work with a professional with, because it's not something you can just figure out in an hour. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to Etsy, put the word photography logo and pick one. <laughs> right. Yeah, that can and that can get you so far. Um, it's not like the worst thing you could do, but yeah, to really do it well, um, just like photographers know, like you, anyone can go buy a camera and take photos. But if you really want to tell a story well, you need to tell someone, like go through someone who can tell a story through that mm-hmm. photo, like the one photo they take on their camera. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's the worst thing you can do? The worst thing you can do. Um, I think, oh, there's so many things too. So so you said that it's a start to just go to Etsy, find a logo, but it's not the worst thing. So try to do the worst thing in branding. I mean, honestly, the worst thing would be to not listen to your ideal client, to be ignoring them through your branding. And that can happen whether you go through Etsy or Fiverr, or if you spend a million dollars to work with a brand agency, I think it would be ignoring them um, and maybe not being inclusive or ignoring some major part of the industry. Um, And so that's kind of on the strategy front. On more of a DIY front, I think worse than going to Etsy is probably like going through Fiverr, but finding a designer who isn't doing things correctly. There's definitely great designers on platforms like Fiverr and Upwork. I've gotten some work through Upwork in the past, so I don't want to hate on the platforms entirely, but finding someone that is actually going to create a logo that can be trademarked for you down the line, if you're interested in Mm. that. Um, And that creates a logo that's scalable and um, able to be used in multiple scenarios. I would say that's the most annoying thing when I work with clients is if they've 
paid money and like wasted their money on a designer before, but the designer didn't give them the branding formats they needed for us to have all the logo files. So I think one of the worst is to copy someone else. Oh, yes. Yeah. Years ago, I invested actually for the money. They were incredible. I mean, it was just one of those luck of the draw that I found somebody on a budget that was fantastic. And got my logo out in the world. And then people in my community set their logos up just like mine, except mine had a little little shadow thing that was hard to imitate. But um, to me, branding is so much about who we are individually that uh, copying someone else, first of all, bad form, right? but also it's not going to communicate who we are it's who they are which is why we liked it probably because it really caught something special so anyway that's that's my uh also in the do not do (laughs) category yeah it ends up being more embarrassing for the person who copied um than the person who got copied too because then no one even registers your branding because it's not really yours. <laughs> right. Yeah. I also think going with a trend. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think I have that somewhere on my website that I'm more about strategy over trends. So as long as we're following strategy throughout the process, you might end up with branding that is semi-trendy if it makes sense. Like if you are a bohemian adventure elopement photographer, we're in that industry or that time of the industry right now where there's tons of bohemian adventure elopement photographers, right? Right. So we could do something related to that that makes sense for your brand. And maybe there's a lot of other brands that are doing similar things like that right now, but we're not doing it because it's trendy. We're doing it because it's strategic and speaks to your unique brand story. Right, right. I am um, font addicted. Is that an actual term? Like, when I'm working with a client and we've done some exercises and, you know, it's just like branding light. What I do is nothing like what someone like you does. Um, But in that preliminary, I start looking at fonts and logo designs for my client. Once I get a little taste of, you know, what style would be good. And all of a sudden like four hours will go by. (laughs) Are Are you font addicted? I am. And I'm weak when it comes to, I get um, pixel surplus and creative market emails. So anytime you yes. have a discount on their font packages, I'm usually buying those. So I just have a whole folder on Dropbox of all the font licenses I've purchased. Yeah. <laughs> it's <yeah>. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think another thing a person can do that is not the smartest idea, tell me if you agree, is to hire a graphic artist to do a logo that doesn't really understand branding. Yes. Yeah. And that's really common, like kind of speaking to that fiber conversation, like everyone kind of thinks they can design a logo. Um, but really the logo is just maybe a fifth of what your branding is. There's so mm-hmm. much that goes into it. And that it's not like everyone even needs the same branding package either. Everyone needs more than a logo for sure, but some people might only need a logo, colors, fonts, and like a couple small assets. And some people need a ton of different things that are really customized. So hiring a graphic artist who doesn't know about branding and just designs a logo, you're not going to get the solution that you need because you could need that small branding package or you you could need something really large to solve your problem. Yes. Well, I hired and fired four graphic artists before I learned about branding and I was in a conference and it was a talk all about branding and and she after the conference the teacher had time slots where he could do a half an hour interview with her and she totally nailed my brand which um you know from our conversation before this started that Aunt Lucy and coming over to Aunt Lucy's house to be photographed is a huge part of my brand. And so then I looked for a graphic artist that understood branding first. And we did a whole exploration. And Emily, her first packet with three possible logos was like, she nailed it. So, and then we worked together on on all the other things you're talking about, but hiring a specialist 
And on the other hand, I heard somebody say this recently for photographers. Okay, come on. You're not Coca-Cola. You're not Apple. It doesn't have to be <laughs> the most like mind-blowing logo design in the world. Just a cut above. Thoughts on any of that? All of that? Yeah, I mean, it, there's no way it can be that level. I mean, I think that you should still definitely invest in a quality designer when you can afford it. But when you compare prices, most solopreneur or small agency designers are going to range like their highest packages will still be maybe 10 to 20,000, like including that. But when you're looking at a studio that's done Coca-Cola or Apple, those are probably starting at like 200,000 for those. Oh, okay. Just have to have that laying around. (laughs) Yeah. Or I mean, I mean, not exactly those numbers, but definitely like we're talking in the hundreds of thousands for those kinds of branding packages, because there's just so much that goes into it. They're doing so much brand research, focus groups, um, they're, those designers are, it's not just one designer designing the logo. It's often a whole team. And then they're testing that they're doing a lot of like A&B testing. So it's so much more intricate than working with a small studio where you're working one-on-one with one designer and telling them what your business is about during a strategy call. Um, so like, I think it's great to aim for the quality, but yeah, you don't need to invest in an entire brand agency of that size when you're a small business. Um, I think that it's more important to invest in someone who is going to listen to you, listen to your business's story, and then be able to tell it strategically through branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, some people might be like, oh, five, ten thousand. I can't do that. But yeah. when I launched my brand, my logo, my colors, my website, new copy on the website, all of that. Instantly, when people contacted me, and this is Emily back in the days when print advertisement and yellow pages worked really well for me, but it went from like 10% to over 50% were ready to hire me. Wow, yeah. Like right away in the first two weeks, I Mm -hmm. got my money back and I invested well in someone. So it's one of those things just like hiring a coach or going to a week-long class uh, with a PPA school or something where, I don't know, I'm thinking you agree with me on that. Mm -hmm. It is, in truth, an actual investment that pays off quickly. It is, yeah. A common conversation recently in the design community is design is an investment, not an expense. Um, so that's important to think about when you're thinking about yeah, branding, web design. And I agree that's the same for a lot of um, courses and coaching and education too. Because um, mm-hmm. it's not something that you even have to necessarily pay for monthly. It's usually you know, a one-time investment over the course of maybe a few months for coaching or branding or web design. But you are going to see that return for years to come. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's like you need a computer, you need it a camera and a backup camera and insurance and investing in education. And then that communication aspect of Mm -hmm. who we are, what people can expect, all that good stuff. So I'm aware, but I don't understand why different colors different lines, different fonts, different positioning of composition, all of those visuals. Why does it affect what people think of you? Do you get my question? Like, oh, I'm looking for a font and and this S makes me feel this way. And this S makes me feel that way. Do you, did you study any theory of that? I, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, that could probably be, you know, years worth of courses, but but yeah, it all comes down to psychology and there's different factors. Like, so for colors, it's really scientific why we feel the way that we do when we see certain Mm -hmm. colors. Um, But then like for things like fonts, a lot of it is association related. So if you've seen like an S that is shaped that way somewhere 
else, then our mind tends to associate that with a feeling or a vibe that we're meant to feel because that branding made us feel that way. So when we see it again, we associate that same vibe and feeling with that new item. Um, So it's kind of the, I guess, psychological factor of associating. And we do that a lot as humans, right? Like we process things and then we save it as a memory and a reminder in our brain so that when we come across a new situation in life, we can basically go through our little mental file cabinet and pull that reminder and make sense of the new situation based on the memories that we saved before. Mm. Um, So that's one aspect. Um, A lot of it is culture too. I think that fits really well with photography too. Um, But it's kind of what culture has told us um, something should represent. Uh, So I guess an example... And that's kind of along the association lines, but like Coca-Cola's branding, for example, it's all based on the culture of what Coca-Cola soda has meant over the years um, to Americans. And it creates like this cheerful, happy vibe. And we've been told that that's what it's supposed to represent. So when we see those similar fonts and colors, like the kind of scripty Coca-Cola vibes or Mm -hmm. the red, um, and a lot of times we also see that during the holidays, and we tend to associate that with cheerful and happy and bubbly vibes. Um, so it's the ways that marketing and branding have really infiltrated our brains and told us to feel a certain way. Um, yeah. So that is a lot of the reason. And then I'm sure there's also visual psychological factors in terms of like the composition and the ways that our eyes perceive things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in photography, there's the rule of thirds and that applies a lot still to design and branding. Um, so factors like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I have a little vacation rental above my garage. In case anyone's coming to San Diego, I'm right near the zoo and downtown. And it's it's a 50s, I call it mid-century modern with a French accent is how I decorate it. And I used one of the, it wasn't fiber, but um, one of the cheapy design things. I ran a contest because, you know, it it, did, oh, yeah. it wasn't that important, but I wanted it to have that mid-century feeling. Mm-hmm. And I finally found a designer that was close and then we worked together. And it just was amazing how the color choices, the font choices, the positioning, everything uh, fit that feeling I wanted and what you're saying now is there was a culture of fonts that were new in the fifties and sixties and advertising and, and commercials and logos on refrigerators and color choices and things Mm -hmm. that are in our cultural brain now. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll have to come visit your vacation rental. <laughs> oh, it's really comfortable and cute. And my little neighborhood, South Park, oh, cool. uh, is just up from downtown. And it's a historic, walkable neighborhood that's like a small town. But you're in San Diego. So you can eight minutes away be at the beach and I love that. two minutes away be at the zoo or Balboa Park. So anywho, yeah, I just, you've enhanced my understanding, even though I, I know it intrinsically, I guess is a good word, but I always think it's interesting how color goes through trends. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed it it, like when I'm shopping, I'll be like, oh, that's a good color. I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. Buy something and then realize, oh, it's the color of the year in fashion for some reason. Do you have any theory about why those trends you know, like why certain colors are the right color for a certain time period? Yeah, a lot of it is like, like back to culture. I know that there's, um, I'm like blanking on all of the names, but there's early adapters, like trendsetters, and then like the early adapters and the slow mm-hmm. adapters. And that is a human nature thing that can also be applied to technology, even like when we're talking about like new generations of the iPhone. Um, but that's the same thing with trends. So something will pop up somewhere and then it starts circling around and people decide that they like it. And then marketing and branding professionals notice that people are liking it and they decide to use that to sell it. Um, And that's exactly what happens in fashion and what happens when you're sharing memes on the internet. It's kind of that similar concept of 
like this community is created around something random that one of the trendsetters chose. Mm. Um, and then like once it starts getting popularity, that's when like marketing agencies and branding experts start to pay attention. Interesting. Because I'm an early adopter. And I'll be looking for something and I will find like one somewhere unique and be like, oh, you know, I love this and I've never seen this before. And then six months later, a year later, it's in Costco and it's everywhere. So I didn't realize that my buying that was Mm -hmm. a signal to manufacturers and whoever that, oh, other people might like this too. So I'm impacting the world by my early adoption of stuff. I'm not the trendsetter, but I'm the early adopter for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I know there's more terms for people in the middle, but like um, in contrast, a slow adopter would be kind of one of those people. um, It's hard because like hipsters are sometimes trendsetters or early adopters, but I would say almost like the hipster who refuses to like what's popular um, or even some people like they'll see that something's a trend and they're like, that's dumb. Like, I'm never going to get into that. And then eventually they'll adopt it once they feel like they have to like, mm. like the iPhone, eventually, like a lot of people have adopted it. So once the re- everyone around them has it. <laughs> yeah. So the reluctant adopter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then by that time it's over. So, yeah, I also think it's interesting how things come back around again, yeah. such as the mid-century style, because when I was a kid, that was the style. I'm older than I look, she said. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm probably now with my gray bangs. I'm anyway, whatever. But, you know, I hated that style and I loved Victorian. And um, so when I decorated my home, I was looking for antiques and things because I just lived through a whole era of that clean lines and and those hideous olive green and orange and certain tones of blues and but I know that the mid-century modern was a reaction to Mm -hmm. the Victorian and everything being so heavy and ornate and now in this century right we're the 21st century mid-century modern has come back and you can't get rid of antique furniture easily because I think people got tired of like people needed a clean fresh modern feeling so what was old and old-fashioned is now modern and contemporary so yeah I think it's really interesting too with clothing like to see like I know Gen Z like teenagers right now are starting to wear a lot of what was around in the late 90s and early 2000s so I'm still trying to figure out like how many decades are we ahead of, if that makes sense? So like the early 2000s are making a comeback now in the 2020s, Um, but that's only a 20 year difference. Yeah. So I hope other people are finding this interesting because I love having this conversation, Emily, because I think about that too. And my theory is that whatever our parents liked is a no. So then the grandparent uh, Mm -hmm. generation. So the mid-century came in, I don't know, I'm not going to try to do the math on that, but um, that for me and my like heyday of out there in the world was perms and shoulder pads and leggings. Oh yeah. And those are back. Their shoulder pads are not as big. Um, Hairdos aren't, people aren't big on, on the perms, but yeah. So I don't have to do the math on if I think that's right. So the 90s, so yeah, the 2012s to now, leggings and shoulder pads and big, big things, big Mm -hmm. tops that cover, oh yeah, you know, our bits. (laughs) Yes, yeah, Um, yeah, I was in Urban Outfitters. And I mean, this was a couple of years ago, but they were selling like jelly bags like things that I used to have when I was like four years old playing dress up like yeah like heels that are clear and like the choker like cheap plastic chokers that you could get in a vending machine uh-huh. um, like selling those for like thirty dollars <laughs> I saw a, a couple of young women yesterday and one of them was totally dressed in the Madonna era mm-hmm. like her shoes her 
her top, her ruffles. So yeah, I love how things come back. Now, I know if nobody else, like you can skip past this part if you want to <laughs> listeners, but the one hairdo that has never come back is the 40s hairdo. Almost every hairdo has come back, but that pinned up those weird like Joan it. Crawford little, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. So some trends just need to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I was going to say last note too. Uh, I wonder how much of it, which like movies and television are also of course, so synced with trends and human psychology, but like stranger things has been really popular in the last few years. And I think that it's set in the eighties. I'm pretty sure seventies or eighties. Mm. So I'm sure that's making an influence on especially like teenage to mid twenties viewers. Um, and I've noticed, like, I don't know if you've seen the show, but I'm totally, it's uh, running up that hill. It was a song that came out, I think in the seventies or eighties and it was just in stranger things. And it wasn't even popular back then. Like it wasn't probably on the top 100 voting uh-huh. wrong, but now it's on the top 100 because of the show, bringing it back. Yeah. So how do you think this all fits in the conversation about branding? And I'm going to ask you to dig into some other, you know, more like specific doable things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love this conversation about design and visuals and culture. And so how does that help us in our process? Or why is it important even to kind of know about trends and things? Yeah. So, I mean, culture, number one, plays a huge part in branding and marketing. So that's important to always be aware of. While you're not necessarily trying to go with the trends, it's important to be aware of anything that you're creating, whether you're painting a picture, creating branding, like being aware of what's out there. And part of that is looking at your market. So that's a big part of what I do is looking at the market that a photographer Mm -hmm. is in, the physical market, but also just what the overall industry looks like and what your niche looks like within that industry. If you are more of a bohemian style photographer or luxury, like looking at what other photographers on the other side of the world are doing with that. Um, And so all of it really comes back to psychology and storytelling and storytelling is based a lot around psychology and human nature. Mm. Um, And so one reason I love brand strategy so much is that it's focused on telling a story, telling a strategic story with your branding. Uh, And we as humans love stories. We love like everything that we do basically is based around our intrigue with stories. And that's why Mm. we love movies and books so much. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what branding does is it gets someone to pay attention to your brand because you're telling a story that that specific person is interested in. And then you're basically offering a solution to their problem. Mm. Um, And it's the story that gets them in, kind of reels them in. And then it's your solution that gets them to spend the money with you. Mm -hmm. And trust you and like you and tell others all about you. And yeah, Yeah. I I can see how understanding who my ideal client is, their age, um, Many other factors, I'm sure, come into play when you're analyzing this for people. So there's a certain color tones and and lines and designs that would appeal to someone in their late 20s, early 30s that would not appeal to the young grandma generation, which those are great clients, by the way, if you're a family portrait photographer and you enjoy the multi-generation, but then if you're a high school senior photographer, gearing colors, textures, the message, the story to what they'd be attracted to and not like, oh, that's so something my mom would like. Uh, right. Right. And it's intersectional too, like getting to know your target audience. It could be about that. It could be about age and gender and market location and everything, but it can also be, so like there's demographics, which are all of those factors. And then there's psychographics, which are the feelings that your audience feels and the emotions and um, interests that they have in common. So for example, a young grandmother. Wait, psychographics. I've never heard that word. Can you define that? Then I want to hear your story. I wish I had a technical definition for it. I can look it up, but basically it's the emotion, emotional and um, feeling 
oriented factors that your target audience has. So demographics are more of the numbers like Mm -hmm. age, um, location. If you're looking, for example, if you're scheduling a Facebook ad, you can literally pick like um, viewers 20 to 30 years old in Austin, Texas. Um, And psychographics are more about their emotions and their actions and interests and things like Mm -hmm. that. So um, it could be like an interest in the outdoors. Um, It could be um, an interest in just like off the top of my head, like horror movies, or they're a mom and they want to provide this kind of experience to their child. Um, So it's all of those factors that any human could share, no matter what their demographics are. Um, So you could be a photographer that works with young grandmothers and people in their early 20s, but you're solving a problem that those two women both want solved. Like a quick example is an elopement photographer. They could be appealing through their brand to people in their early 20s who want to skip the cost of a wedding and just go on an adventure. And they could appeal to a young grandmother who is getting married for like the second or third time and doesn't want to make it a huge deal and just wants to go in nature and get remarried. Um, So they could have that in common, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though their age and their income might be totally different. um, That's kind of an example there of a psychographic. Let me look up a quick, I want a technical definition of that. (laughs) While you're doing that, you made me think about my niece who just had a baby. Well, two years ago, but time goes fast. I was the one that helped her and cut the cord. And so my little, you know, he's my little precious and all the things she registered for on Amazon were like, well, like she was one of those teenagers that would wear black and she likes tattoos and, you know, horrified her grandmother with, with, you know, different, maybe shredding, but, uh, you know, she wasn't a little fluffy cheerleader type. Mm -hmm. And so the things she registered for were like grays and blacks and it definitely the psychographic aspect was right there. Like she didn't want, um, I, I picked out one of those castle baby jails that are like a castle oh, yeah. living room. And she didn't want the ones that were all the nursery colors. Mm-hmm. She wanted the one that was, was beige with gray accents and little toned down things. So yeah. I think that is the psychographic is what you're talking about. Yeah. Based on her own historic visual choices and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically, here's a technical definition of psychographics. It's the study and classification of people according to their attitudes, aspirations, and other psychological criteria, especially in market research. Interesting. Um, so yeah, all about attitudes and goals and like the emotional factors that people have in common. One example, um, when I used to work in an agency and we worked with Subaru, a demographic of a Subaru client might or customer might be that they live in Oregon or Washington and they make sixty to one hundred thousand dollars a year and they're willing to spend twenty to sixty thousand dollars on their car. Um, but then the psychographics would be that they like to go hiking, they like to get out in nature. Um, safety is a big priority over like sexiness of a car. Mm-hmm. Those are things that Subaru would play into their branding. Yeah. And guess what? I have a Subaru and that totally fits me. And yeah. when I purchased mine here in San Diego, I hadn't seen Outbacks anywhere. And I went to Oregon mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's why there's none in San Diego because all of them went to Oregon. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah we have an Outback and a Prius. And those are the most common Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's funny because every time I see the little logo on the backs of cars, that's like a little, um, not really, I mean, it's stars, but it's not star shaped. And with the blue background, I get a happy feeling. So that's branding at its best, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd have a, like now I'm a big Subaru fan. I drove like 20 different cars trying to pick out my next one. And then I bought a second one. So yeah. Okay. Do you have some hot doable bits of information for photographers? 
we're talking about don'ts. I want to know some do's. So let's get into some meat here. Um, One tip is to keep track of your audience. You probably teach us in your coaching, um, but I know that works great for marketing. Like basically, you know, have a CRM system or something where you can filter all of the inquiries that you're getting and keep some information on your inquiries, Mm. whether they've booked or not. Get an idea of the type of people that are inquiring and the type of people that are booking and how much they're willing to pay. Just kind of collecting that information early on will help you with your branding down, down the line of understanding like where they're finding you, um, what kind of questions they're asking before they book with you. And then the people who are booking, like what do they have in common? And being able to see that is a part of the brand strategy process. So that's something you can start now, whether you have no budget or all the budget to work with a brand designer. Um, Another thing is to, if you are going to design your own logo in the beginning, um, make sure that it's scalable and that it's easy to apply to different um, brand aspects. So I think one thing that people miss when they're DIYing their logo is they just make it so complicated. And Canva makes that really easy these days where you can just add tons of flowers and frills and bubbles and all kinds of things mm-hmm. to branding and effects. Um, but for your branding doesn't really need that. You don't need all of these like special effects on your logo. So in the beginning, keep it simple, stick to a clean typography, um, and like a simple logo mark. Um, and that way you can start to build some recognition and some professionalism so that when you do a rebrand down the line, people at least know you somewhat. Um, and you want your logo to also just look good in all cases. It needs to look professional in your email signature and on your contracts and invoices um, on your Instagram content and all of that. So just thinking about how it will be applied there. Mm-hmm. Water Watermark on photos. One of the things that didn't work with that logo that I told you about going way back that was copied is that my name actually was made with shadows. Mm, Yes. Which did not work to have a dye made to print on the Mm -hmm. inset of albums because there was no actual letters and it was two shades. So there was a gray and a little black, and they would always just end up with it all being black. Yeah, so that part was in the needs to improve <laughs> section. Yeah. It was cool to look at, but it wasn't as practical, especially this was when we had these acetate sheets and in layers. Probably people don't even know what that is, but it was pre-digital. So did I cut you off? Was there a number four? Oh, I was just going to add to that point about shadows, like a good practice that I learned in my design classes and that people can use when they're DIYing is your logo should be, it should look just as good when it's really tiny on a business card as it would if it were blown up on a billboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean by scalable. And then in terms of yeah, color and inversion, um, it should look good in black and white, um, black or white. So you should have at least some version that can look good on a dark background and one that can look good on a light background. Whether black and white are your brand colors, that's up to you. But I always start with those two. And then mm-hmm. you should have colors in your brand palette. If it's like beige and navy, that's okay. But you should have some kind of contrast there in your brand colors so mm-hmm. you can use your logo on darker white backgrounds. Right. So thank you for that. So something we haven't explored that's really my heart and what when I give a class on branding, it is about the importance of discovering who I am Mm -hmm. or who you are, the importance of the identity um, as well as, you know, who I'm marketing to is who I am. What is the experience of me? The, Mm -hmm. you know, my brand, I'm very relaxed and casual, but yet I'm kind of exacting at the same time. You know, I have an intensity, but I have a warmth to me. So my branding, if it looked like really corporate and cold, even if my ideal clients love that, I'm sure you would agree that would not be the right uh, design for me. Right. Yeah. So it's that intersection of if they love like really cold and you're a really warm person, like how can you bring that together so that it appeals to them, but still is unique to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So thinking through factors and like trends, um, or not, I don't mean trends necessarily, but like design assets and things like that, that can bring those two worlds together. Mm -hmm. Um, so one thing I like to do with clients is I like to ask them what they like and what they don't like in terms of colors and things that they've seen, or if there's other branding that they have seen that they really are attracted to, whether it's in their industry or not. Like you could be a photographer and your favorite brand could be Nike or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So just hearing what they're into and then also what they're really turned off from helps Mm -hmm. Um, because usually it's not a ton. Like usually a client can say, oh, I hate the color red and that's fine. We don't have to incorporate the color red. Even if your ideal client um, likes something like that, we can still find something similar Mm -hmm. um, that isn't exactly what you don't like. Mm -hmm. Another thing to think of too is the balance of expressing yourself in your brand, but also making the brand... Um, and thus your website and your communications about your client. Um, so that's one of the biggest things I've learned myself in marketing is like your website should be about your client, not you. So while it should have a lot of information about you, your client is the hero of the story. Um, and one book that I can leave with people is Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes through storytelling and how a brand tells a story. And in that, like, in the storytelling structure that we all are attracted to by human nature, there's a hero and then the hero has a problem. While they're going through this problem, they meet a guide. The guide helps them solve the problem and then they save the day and that problem is solved and the hero's happy. And that kind of fits to like Harry Potter, Star Wars, all those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what branding is. So your client has a problem. Um, maybe it's that they don't have any great documentation of memories for their family. Like they've never gotten family portraits done, um, but they're so stressed out. They can't do it themselves. They don't know anyone who can do it. You solve the problem by making an experience out of the family portrait photography and like making it really comfortable for them and easy to do and affordable. Um, and that's, so you're their guide that they're meeting. The client is the hero the whole time. Um, you're the guide that's helping them solve their problem. And then at the end of the day, their problem is solved by the services that you're able to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to think about. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, just a little tip for my listeners. One of the ways that I have my coaching clients start to explore their own identity first mm-hmm. so that then they can stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. is I have them make what I call an identity map where you, you get a bunch of magazines and try not to just have photography ones mm-hmm. flip through. So it kind of goes with what you're talking about, flip through and just clip out things that draw your attention, not things you want to buy or vacations or, but just the visuals, yeah. including letters, fonts, you know, words on a page, even if it says like, check your gas gauge if the way that the letters and the choice of letters grabs you put that all on a board mm-hmm. and what happens every time is there's a strong color theme there's a strong texture quality there's a similarity of kinds of fonts and lettering even it's important to me how if they clip it out and they make it really like all the lines are lined up or if like me, you cut it out in different squares and it's all jumbled, put on there. Mm-hmm. All of that is a start. And then I have people go through a journey with me where we go back to your childhood and discover kind of an essence that you might've forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And then I have people um, ask on Facebook to describe you in three words. Yeah, that's a good and out of that but then at that point then I'm not the graphic artist to take it to that level that someone like Emily and other designers know all those other things we've been talking to today but you know that's a start I love those another one um kind of on the business side too of like getting to know you and your business more um you can google brand archetypes and that's something that I go through in my strategy session with clients there's 12 main archetypes. And so there's like the sage, um, the joker, or I think the jester. Um, and it talks to the kind of brand that you put out there in the world, which for photographers, a lot of times your brand is you, unless you have a whole team or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sage, for example, their brand is full of wisdom. 
They love to share advice and knowledge and information. A jester wants people to have fun. They want to like make people's lives more lighthearted and things like that. And there's 12 of them. Mm. Um, there's a bunch of quizzes online, a lot of different ways to look at it. But um, there's one quiz I took recently that asks you questions about your organization. So it asks you about how you are as a manager, how you treat, which doesn't always apply to everyone, but how you treat your employees, what your expectations are, um, what your biggest goal is and like your biggest fear in business. Um, And it was kind of funny because the biggest fear one, there's 12 different answers, I believe. And one of the um, fears was like being sued or or something like that. Like losing all your money and being sued by a client, which I think is every business's fear, (laughs) but you kind of have to get to the heart because there's also other fears of like not being good enough for your client or not being Mm -hmm. the most creative, innovative business. And those are different for everyone based on their experiences and like those childhood essences and a lot of things that you brought up too. Um, so you can get to know yourself as a business more that way too. And what, what quiz is that? I'll send it to you after this. So you can put it in the show notes if you want. Okay. But what, what's it called or what? Oh, so the whole theme is brand archetypes. Um, right. Looking, yeah. yeah I've, I found that. I thought you said there was another. There is a quiz, but yeah. it's, um, it's a brand archetypes quiz. There's just a lot okay. of different ways. to. Yeah. Take. I'm looking at um, when you said Sage, you kind of described me. I pulled it up and there's, looks like there's four basic areas. Anyway, that is fascinating. I can't wait to dig into that. I'll probably get lost for part of today. (laughs) Yeah. And it has examples of brands. Um, This isn't the link that has the quiz. I'll send you the quiz after once I find that. But my favorite link to look at for the archetypes is iconicfox.com.au, which I can send you that. F-O-X Fox? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's nice because they've already put together graphics of examples. So it shows you like the jester brand archetype, and then it tells you what kind of feelings are associated with that. And then it gives you examples of brands that are associated with that. So, um, for example, I think the Sage, like one of their, um, example brands is Google. And then there's a archetype called the magician. And one of those example brands is Disney, um, but it would surprise you too. Like you can have an archetype and the businesses that they use as examples are totally different within those too. Interesting. Oh, I'm so excited that you're talking yeah, about it's really that. That's like, <laughs> yay. So that's going to help even for me with getting more clear about my coaching and what people can expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can expect, well, I'm not going to, Right now, I'm still in vacation brain. So anyway, you can expect to be comfortable, to learn a lot, to be listened to, to have interpersonal change, like the, we call it mindset, but it might be time for me to up my branding to communicate that because what I did is I carried over my colors and tone from my website, but made it a a little more uh, of a business Mm -hmm. appeal but I could definitely see how upping my branding would communicate to people a little more what it would be like to work with me. So thank you for that. You've got me like, Oh, I'm going to check into that. Well, Emily, this was such a good conversation and super fun. And I loved learning more about the why of how colors, textures, fonts, design, everything, where that comes from as humans, you know, as culture. Yeah. I'm going to be pondering this all day long. So thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I have two questions, actually two and a half (laughs) for you before I let you go off into the Portland wonderland. Um, First of all, what's the best way to get in touch with you, learn more about you and so forth? Yeah. So the best place is on my website, which is emilyfostercreative.com. Or you can also reach out to me on Instagram and my handle on Instagram is Emily Foster Creative. Great. And I know you have a goodie that you would like to share. So yeah, so I have a freebie. Um, It's a freebie that helps you pick out your brand colors. I have a lot of information there about what each color represents, kind of getting into that color psychology we mentioned earlier. Um, And I'll send the link to Lucy so that she can put it in the show notes and you can just go sign up for it there. You'll get a downloadable PDF 
um, that you can save and look back on whether you're DIYing this or mm-hmm. whether you choose to work with a brand designer down the line. Okay. So in case somebody is driving and their friend has a pencil, um, it's her website, emilyfostercreative.com slash brand dash colors. So in case you don't see that show notes, I just wanted people to be able to yeah, look that up because that is super fun, super cool. Okay. And then uh, the last question is either inviting you to share something that if we hang up and you'd be like, oh, I wish I'd have mentioned that tip or that thought or what what your parting thought would be, what you'd like to leave us with. So yeah, I think I think it would be brand loyalty. I think we kind of started talking about that a little bit. Um, But just remembering that building a brand is a lot about loyalty from your clients. And I think you were mentioning a brand earlier that you bought once and then you returned back to. So just remembering the impact of that and that your branding can start even before you invest in it. So building that brand loyalty now with your clients and making it really about the client experience, that's going to matter whether you've invested zero dollars or thousands of dollars in your branding. Um, so focus on your client experience first um, and building brand loyalty through that. Great. Be a quick tip. Okay. <laughs> Big but quick tip. <laughs> yeah. So what I hear you saying is that who we are is always speaking. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. working on the experience, reaching out, everything else, even before we have like the coolest logo or or a you know, super excellent website is to just start now to have kind of a culture mm-hmm. of, of what it's like to work with us. Am I on track with that? Is that? Yeah, there is. Yeah. I would say that into making sales in your business, it's about your branding, your marketing, which is impacted by your branding, but also your client experience. And I think people forget that. I think in these conversations, when we're talking about logos and branding, it's easy to think, once I have a brand, I'll be successful and I'll make all the sales. But really, it's still your service that has to sell. So remembering to curate that, um, whether you can afford branding or not right mm. now. Focus on that experience. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's like a cake. So if the frosting and the cake is delicious, it's go. And then the little decoration on the top is the branding so that we think, ooh, I want to eat that. But yeah. if it looks gorgeous but then the cake is dry and the frosting is too sweet. (laughs) Not so great. So you said it well, I'm not going to try to recap it, but now I want cake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's eat cake after this. (laughs) What kind of cake did you have at your wedding? Uh, We had kind of just, uh, we had German chocolate and then we also had a white cake and we did cupcakes. Um, So kind of a mix there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had jars of candy. (laughs) (laughs) Jars of candy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Emily, thank you so much for this great conversation. And I always love when things go in different and deeper directions than just the surface. Oh, let's just talk about branding and logo and colors to so much Mm -hmm. more. So this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, everyone, be sure to stay tuned. I'm going to do my little quick wrap up. So let's all say thank you and give a round of applause to Emily. Yay. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Well, I hope you learned a lot. I did. And it was really fun to explore, not just like branding for us, but I loved learning more about the concept of design and, you know, what as humans, what makes us attracted to different things or get different feelings from, um, you know, everything design is everywhere we just probably don't even realize it so let's see tips so we talked about the importance of defining the our brand and uh, she said so many good things that are hard to summarize like good branding is the crossroads between our business and our clients that we need to listen to our ideal clients and strategy over trend. I thought that was a great thought on that. Um, she gave some tips, like for one, keeping track of our audience. Where did they come from? What questions are they asking us? How did they find us? 
tips on good logo and branding colors is to make sure it's scalable, easy to apply, looks good in color in black and white, looks good big and small. Um, she mentioned the story brand concept um, book by, I think his last name was Miller, and how we make the client the hero and we're the person that saves the day with their pride. I'd have to re-listen. So re-listen with me. Are we the hero or is our client the hero? So also talked about this, and I'm going to look this up and probably spend the afternoon searching brand archetypes. That is something I've never heard of. And I love that about podcasting for myself because I love to learn new stuff. So I hope you're having a really great day, week, month, year, life, whenever you're listening to this. And just know that I'm here to support you any way I can and that I'm sending you a big hug wherever you are in the world. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.